Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello folks and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. Glad to have you. Um, we'd like to know this is a part of your day and uh, if it is, I'd love to hear from you. Would you mind writing me an email? Just say, hi, I'm watching. That's all. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just like to know who's, who's watching and who's enjoying. If you got a question or two, throw it in there. We answer questions on the radio show all the time. And um, so uh, I love to get questions from people. Just write to Don at thinkredink.com. Just that easy. Uh, we're in chapter 8 of the little book, The Words of Jesus, and we're, we were uh, discussing the situation where Jesus was at the well of Samaria where he encountered the woman, uh, which uh, unfortunately was, is uh, famous for uh, having a lot of husbands. Um, I, uh, I've always felt a little differently about her than most people... <laughs> seem to feel about her. Um, I always uh, had feeling a little sorry for her that uh, the poor girl just couldn't seem to get a good husband. Well, we don't know if, if it was a widow situation or not, but I got a feeling it wasn't. Um, and uh, uh, this, uh, this story, if you look at the people in, in involved in this story, uh, it's really interesting that uh, well, that she, she was who she uh, said she was, or she was who the scriptures said she was, uh, or at least uh, had the reputation that, that, that they say. And um, uh, yet, it seems that uh, she had some kind of sway or some kind of uh, uh, influence among some of the people who were essentially running the show. She had no trouble at all telling them, uh, come and see this guy. Um, I think that in, in most situations where you'd have a, have a, a woman making a claim uh, that you know, she wants the religious leadership, whoever they are, to uh, come and see a particular guy that told me what things, what all things whatsoever I did, um, you just wonder why would that be of interest to men, uh, and why would they have gone to uh, to see him? She was evidently persuasive, and um, uh, we don't we don't know in what way uh, she evidently was a um, well. Can we say religious woman? I uh, you know I, I don't know if that's a proper description of her or not, but. Uh, she did happen to know some uh, doctrines and theology of the Jews and the disparities or at least differences in the way the Jews uh, believe and teach and the way the Samarit Samaritans believe and teach. The, the Jews were very um, uh, prejudiced against the Samaritans. They figured that the Samaritans were a, a bastardized uh, Jew um, in that uh, they, uh, 
they accepted the uh, ideas of uh, the Samaritans and incorporated them into whatever it was that they believed. Uh, they were known to change laws. Um, there, were, there were a lot of differences between the two. She evidently knew something about this uh, because uh, Jesus was explaining to her as they got done with the conversation about water, um, he said that if you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I'd give you water that would last you the rest of your life. And uh, she tried to understand what he was trying to say and wasn't doing so well at it. Um, and when she asked him, uh, I'd like to have this water, uh, Jesus was explaining to her, uh, not the common understanding of people that are coming to Jesus and wanting uh, to make a difference in their life, i.e., you catch them and I'll clean them. Uh, Jesus decided that, uh, okay, fine, you want to be a, a part of what I'm all about. Um, we've got some things to work out. And it really has to do with... Uh, uh, y your reputation in town and uh, what you feel like is a, uh, an in a uh, uh, you may feel like it's insignificant, but I assure you it's not insignificant. Well, what was the thing he was talking about? He was said, he told her, go call thy husband and come back. Well, she kind of sunk and thought, uh, boy, <laughs> I don't know, this might be a problem. She looked at him and said, I have no husband. And uh, I think it's interesting that uh, in our modern day, um, uh, you've heard the term um, married in the eyes of God, right? Um, a lot of people uh, claim this, use this. Um, a lot of guys convincing women to marry them use this. A lot of women convincing guys to marry them use this. Uh, parents teach their children that if, if you have sex with someone, you're married in the eyes of God. Um, I don't know where they got that from. Is it in the Sunday school literature? I don't remember reading it. But, uh, boy, I've heard it all my life. Um, and um, in some situations, people will say, e you announce to someone that you're getting married, and they say, oh, you're going to make an honest woman of her, right? Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, well, I'm afraid we all may know what it means, or at least what it insinuates, but... I think that it may be time for us to change this idea that we have about being married in the eyes of God. Jesus was under no impression that this woman was married to anyone. Um, now, there is the, the remote possibility, and however remote, I don't know, but there is the remote possibility that this woman uh, has been married several times and this particular guy she's living with at this point uh, that she's not having sex with him 
Um, I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, so, I mean, there's, it's a possibility, but I don't think so. Um, a woman who has been disappointed with uh, husband after husband after husband after husband after husband um, is probably going to be kind of soured on marriage at this particular point. Um, she's probably tired of being outcast. She's tired of looking for another husband. And uh, she's probably going to try to forego all this legality in her life. I understand that. I get that. But here's something that we need to, to see and understand and re erase this idea from our vocabulary, from our minds, and certainly from the raising of our children, saying that, uh, that if you have sex with someone, you're married in the eyes of God. Um, here, this, uh, he tells her, go and get your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidest truly. <laughs> Jesus just kind of cuts through, doesn't he? Um, so was he under some impression that they were married in the eyes of God? Absolutely not. They weren't married in the eyes of anyone. They were, uh, as the King James says, shacking up. Oh no, that's my little note in the corner. Um, these two were, they were just shacking. That's all. And so, I mean, let's just, let's just face that and move on, shall we? It's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about, but nevertheless, we do need to get that idea out of our minds that uh, that, that is the case of, uh, you know, thinking it's as bad as doing it, and doing it makes us married in the eyes of God, and all these things we made up to make, quote, unquote, honest women of the women in our life. Um, so let's just stop that, shall we? Now, um, when he said, the one you have now is not your husband, um, he was saying that there has never been a marriage contract between you and this particular guy. Now, I am not one who happens to believe that the state has the power or the right to um, designate somebody married or unmarried. Uh, I don't think it's any of the state's business. I think that it should be a matter of the heart and of the church community whether or not uh, two people have decided to be married or not. Now, when you're talking about tax situations and these kind of things, yeah, I know there's legal legalities and such that have to be gone through, uh, circumnavigated in some cases, renamed in other cases. There are certain ways of doing this. But, um, you know, the Quakers for years uh, have had uh, priestless, preacherless, pastorless weddings for, you know, a couple, three centuries it's been going on. And it goes on in our country, too. And those marriages are, are honored and honorable. 
Now, when you, when you talk like this, you know, it's very easy to get very selfish about all this kind of stuff. And there, where, you know, guys and women alike will, you know, kind of elbow one another and says, see there. But uh, the fact is that um, Adam and Eve were never married. Uh, and, um, and the reason I say that is that marriage came along after the population of the world became such that uh, it was necessary to establish by law, by rule, by decree, by whatever means that this man and this woman are man and wife. Uh, and it is, a, it is an important aspect to society. And I would have to say an indispensable one. I don't think that a man and a woman can decide between themselves and only between themselves that they're going to be husband and wife and therefore be husband and wife. I don't necessarily think that they need to find a preacher to make that union or a priest or a uh, some, um, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, justice of the peace or any kind of a, a legal personality in order to bring about a, uh, uh, a legal marriage, if you will. But I do think that it's necessary that this couple make this union known to their particular sphere of society. Um, namely, uh, the congregation to which they belong, to which they frequent, uh, the people that they answer to as friends and families and neighbors and things like this. I think that an announcement by that couple to a group like that, whether it's in, a, in the town hall or in their local church, if that's what they need to do. And I have to tell you that these are not uh, some rules I'm telling you to obey. I'm telling you, and I've probably said over and over again, I don't know how many times it would be if you were to stop the tape and count them up, how many times I said, I think. But this is my opinion. Um, the, uh, the, the problem with uh, this is, uh, and, and uh, actually legal marriages, and I say legal in that there is a justice of the peace, or there is a judge involved, or there is a preacher involved, and there's marriage licenses involved, these kind of things, uh, they, don't, they don't fix this problem um, at all. I mean, we've seen people work around this as well. But I do think that the, what I am proposing to you uh, can be, will be misused to the advantage of someone along the way. But isn't that true for legal marriages as well? Um, so, you know what, it's pretty much people are going to do whatever they want to do for their own reasons. And if they're going to be wicked, they're going to be wicked. But what we need to stop doing is applying God's signature to our selfish motives and, um, and saying that it's okay with God uh, because, you know, we, I got a piece of paper that says it's okay. 
The Jews took this to a huge and embarrassing leaps of logic to the point that uh, there were sects of, of Pharisees who believed that a woman had to publicly dishonor her husband in some way to be able to um, bring about a legal or a, an ordained, if you will, divorce. Uh, that divorce was even an option. Uh, divorce was not an option if there wasn't some real good reason for it to be. Um, and uh, to the point that some of these people who were just nothing more than lechers, sexual predators, sexual addicted church people, aren't you glad we don't have these problems today? Um, would come to Jesus and, and say, so what do you say? Uh, can a man put away his wife for any cause? You remember this? And Jesus said, uh, except it be for fornication. No, he can't. Uh, now, many people have taken that scripture and turned the word fornication into the word adultery. And uh, many a woman has felt justified by proving that their husband was indeed an adulterer um, so that they could feel good about divorcing them. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. Jesus was just reiterating the Old Testament um, provision that was put into a marriage that if a woman presented herself virginal to the man she marries and he found out different, he was able to annul the divorce. You see, because what had taken place? Adultery? No. Fornication had taken place that they weren't honest about. And uh, so, Jesus was just reiterating the old law. Are you telling me that, that adultery is not a, a reason for divorce? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to forgive him. You're supposed to forgive her. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, the forgiveness. Remember forgiveness? What you begged and cried God for when you got saved? <laughs> yeah, that's the deal. And uh, that's what you have to offer to other people. There's no good reason. There's no biblical reason for divorce other than what Jesus said. If, it, if, it, uh, if you got married under some kind of a false pretense somehow, then you were able to annul a marriage. But that's all he said. So uh, there's a lot of things to dispense with in our own minds, isn't there, about, about weddings and about divorce and uh, these kind of things that... Uh, people complain about the old antiquated uh, uh, marriage vows, and now they're writing their own vows. Uh, you know, you know that we'll. Uh, what is it? It's not till death do we part. What is it? Uh, it's, it has something to do with. Um, you know, we won't. We'll stay together until we don't want to anymore, or some silly thing like that. Um, but you know, wedding show our culture to uh, the entire world. Um, the fact that a father gives a, a bride away shows that uh, a father ought to, uh, uh, that, a, uh, that a woman ought to be under the covering of her father until she takes a husband, and then she's under the covering of her husband. Um, is that antiquated? <laughs> I don't care if you think it is or not. That's the way things ought to be, and that's the way 
I feel they ought to be. Well, and you might say, well, I don't. Well, fine, go do your thing. It's all right. I'm not telling you you got you to gotta be me. I'm just telling you that I, I just happen to believe that the scriptures are, uh, are uh, a wonderful way to run our life. And when it comes to women, they should be under their, under their fathers until they're under their husbands, until um, such a time as death parts them. And uh, then they, as Paul says, they may find a nephew or they might find an uncle or somebody in their family. And if they can't do that and you're talking about a woman that's over 60 years old and she's a good woman and not, you know, some wanton hussy that uh, she is to be brought into the church and the church is supposed to take care of her. There's a whole system out there. But I'm telling you that our marriages bespeak to the society how we feel about these things and, and what's important to us. So when it comes to marriage, these decisions are made, and they're made in front of other people. They're not breakable. They're not bendable. They're not, you know, uh, you know take it or leave it. This is the way we do things. This is, the, this is the way it's supposed to be done. So married in the eyes of God, throw it. Toss it. There's no reason to believe it whatsoever. Um, and uh, uh, here we have this woman that, as I say, uh, perhaps there was no sex going on. It's really hard to believe. But perhaps that's true. I don't know. But nevertheless, Jesus didn't recognize her and he as having any kind of marriage whatsoever. It doesn't really go into much more discussion than that, but of course Jesus does in other areas that we're going to uh, discover as we go. But what happened was is that the woman became impressed with the fact that uh, Jesus knew this about her. Now, I, I've often thought about this and, and wondering... Uh, how was this such a secret that she didn't feel like he could have heard this in the barber shop? I don't know. How was it such a secret, yet um, this woman having five husbands, that couldn't have been a secret. It also couldn't have been a secret. Perhaps uh, she was pretending to be married to the guy, to number six. Perhaps that was the case, and uh, nobody knew that except them. And now Jesus just comes out with it. So she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, she didn't go into any kind of repentance at this point. She just says, if I'm dealing with a prophet, if, the, if you are indeed a prophet of God, I got some questions to ask you. Now, isn't this amazing? She's not going to ask him to heal her dog He's not going to ask him for, you know, a great recipe for lox and bagels. She's going to ask him a question about doctrine, about the law, about the difference between what Jews believe and what Samaritans believe. I think that's amazing because this was just essentially not a woman's place. But she evidently has a little streak of independence in her. And uh, so she says, uh, the astonished woman replied, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she moves straight into, 
our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Now let me explain to you what this means. At this particular point, when he was in Sychem, at this well, he was in a place called Mount Gerizim, or at least near this particular place. And, um, and she was telling him that our fathers, in other words, our church fathers, um, the, the leaders or the, uh, the coaches, the people who train us religiously, they said that we're supposed to worship in this mountain. And you say, talking about the Jerusalem, uh, talking about the Jews at Jerusalem, yet ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, um, again, you know, I just have to plead ignorance. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I understand that the, uh, the men of Samaria, the religious leadership, they had no trouble at all changing commandments to the point that they would feel no compunction whatsoever at saying, thou shalt worship in Mount Gerizim. <laughs> um, and so they instituted this idea that if anybody were to have the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, uh, Pentecost, any of these feasts of the Lord, that, that it is to be done in Mount Gerizim. She was a bit concerned about that and says, I know this has, been a, this has been a problem between our people and your people for centuries. What's the right thing to do? Now, I think it's interesting that she's asking a Jew this because a Jew can't answer in any other way other than Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This was obviously on her mind. She wanted Jesus' opinions about it, and he's going to give it to her. Um, there is a reason for all this. We're going to talk about it in the next uh, episode. It's very interesting, but there was a time when God's people were really concerned about his calendar. Nowadays, we don't really care. You know, what do we need to know? We need to calculate Easter. I guess we need to know something about when Passover is so we can properly calculate Easter. But that's about all Passover means to the average Christian. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles, we don't do that anymore. You know, we got Christmas, we got Halloween, we got Thanksgiving. Just occupies the whole fall. We don't have time for these kind of things. It is a shame. It's a shame that God gave us these beautiful holy days and they don't mean any more to us than that. Time is gone already. Uh, I want you to be right back here next time. We're going to uh, continue with this particular subject here, uh, dealing with the Words of Jesus series. I'd love to have you. Uh, as I said, I want you to write to me. I want you to send an email to don at thinkredinc.com or write to Think Red Inc. Ministries, P.O. Box 718, Pytown, New Mexico, 87827. Hey, something else I want you to do. Call this uh, particular television station and say, hey, you guys are gutsy putting this guy on. <laughs> because frankly, they are. And I appreciate them for doing that. I want, you, I want them to know that you appreciate it too. So give them a call. Drop them an email. Let them know. All right. See you next You've time. You've been listening to Don Bye -bye. C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com.
join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.